Ken Ham recently said that he was both and neither a Calvinist or an Arminian at the same time. Is that possible? Well, stay tuned on this slice of fresh bread. Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast of Grace Bible Church Gainesville with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Keith. Welcome to Fresh Bread, where we're bringing the truth of God's Word to a starving world on Fresh Bread podcast number 15. We have an interesting broadcast for you today. Talk a little bit about Calvinists and Arminian. And you're laughing at me already. Calvinist and Arminian. Those are like the North and the South almost in the Civil War, aren't they? And for some of you who may not even know where you are in this camp, because when I remember when I was a, a new believer, I was an Arminian. I, I didn't know it, but I was. And then as the more I studied God's Word and the more deeper I went in seminary, I realized that I, I became more of a Calvinist. But we're going to ask the question, is it right to even label ourselves these terms? But Pastor Brandon, what I would like you to do for, for me and for those who are listening is, can you just go through both of these these beliefs and kind of summarize them if you can okay yeah I can I can do that both of them have you know five points there's uh, five points of Calvinism and there's five points of Arminianism and you know what we have to recognize is that these are summaries of the teaching of John Calvin and Jacob Arminius five points of of Arminianism was a response to the five points of Calvinism so you have John Calvin and Jacob Arminius and they both of these are summaries of what they taught. Jacob Arminius was a uh, a Dutch theologian during the Protestant Reformation, and and John Calvin obviously was one of the major people involved in the Reformation, uh, along with Luther. So that Calvinism and and Arminianism are, are a summary of what these two men taught. But there are five points, and the first one has to do with depravity. Jacob Arminius taught that that there's a, a partial depravity that man was still is still able to seek God that we are fallen and tainted by sin but we not to the extent that we can't choose to come to God and accept salvation and mm-hmm. so there the the idea that we're depraved yes but not totally depraved and and or even you know I think a better way to possibly to say is total inability there is no that there's no ability to come to know him and that would that would be uh, Calvinism on one's own that is that you know Calvinism would say there's total depravity or a better way to say it probably is total inability to come to know uh, Christ to to make a choice on one's own that that you are dead in your trespasses and sins you know Ephesians 2 you're dead and there's no way that you can make that decision we're unable to save ourselves so that's the depravity and how they view it then there's election, the God's sovereign choice. Arminianism would say that there's a it's a conditional election that God chooses those who He knows will choose to believe. So you could say He looked down the path of time and He knew this person and He knew that they would make the choice to believe. And so that's the only sense of His choice. Whereas Calvinism would say that God decreed who would be saved. And so you know it's his it's his sovereign choice Ephesians 1 4 through 6 he chose us before the foundation of the world this was not he didn't look down through the corridors of time so to speak to see who would choose him but he sovereignly chose those who would who would follow him uh, then there's uh, atonement so Arminianism would say that 
there's unlimited atonement that Christ died for everyone. His atonement is available to all and efficient to save. It's just a matter of your own your own choice. Whereas uh, Calvinism would say it's there's a limited atonement that God he chose certain ones to be saved, and as a result of his unconditional election, and he de- determined that Christ should die for the elect alone. And now I want to point out that some people are you know what they would say yeah I'm a four point Calvinist because I struggle with this particular point. Don't have time to get deeply into that. I would say I would say that even those who struggle with the atonement piece, I would say that everyone everyone orthodox I would argue really is that there's a limited atonement because not everyone's going to be saved. You know, that's the mm. you know that the question becomes who limits the atonement. You know, mm. is it is it my choice that limited it because I chose not to follow that the atonement was sufficient for everyone and I'm the one that chose not to follow versus God's limiting that in the sense of he only died for his people, his elect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a, that, that's been a, that's a big, big argument. You know, that's a big discussion and, you know, good men fall on both sides of that, mm-hmm. of that. And, you know, and I can understand. And then there is grace and, you know, whether or not grace is resistible, which would be the, Arminian side of it, God's call to be saved can be resisted and and or rejected. God may he may be drawing you, but you can choose to to say no to that draw. Whereas Calvinism would say it's irresistible. If God chooses to, if He's elected someone, and He chooses to save them, then there's that grace can't be can't be resisted. I, and I, my argument with that would be, you know, looking at the life of David, looking at the life of Abraham, looking at the life of Moses. Those guys didn't say no. They can't they couldn't say no. God chose them. And it wasn't just them. It was Paul, it was Peter, it was all the apostles. And I would say all the way down through every person who's ever believed that it's by God's grace and that grace is un, is irresistible. But that is the you know the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism. And then there's conditional salvation or that would be, you know, that what Christians can come to know the Lord and yet begin to and ultimately reject him. And so they they are saved for a period of time and they come to reject him or they deny that they ever we have on this side of of heaven that is that we have eternal security that we could lose our salvation. That's that's arminianism. Whereas calvinism is it's called perseverance of the saints, one word, we're using the tulip acronym, but if a person comes to know the Lord, truly comes to know the Lord, if he's been chosen, if he's, you know, if God's shown his grace toward him or her, that person cannot fall away. There is no falling away. That would be what's called the perseverance of the saints. Hmm. So that's kind of a brief sketch of the difference between Arminianism and, and Calvinism. Okay, so they sound very different. Yeah, I mean, you, I think, you know, you said the North and the South, and I think it, I mean, there are opposite. And and now I would say, I mean, you know, we need to be careful. I think that there are brothers in Christ who, you know, some of the things that Arminianism would would espouse. I I do think that I do think there's men who love the Lord who who have this this other view. Is it possible to to have both views in mind when you when you're looking at your faith and your salvation? I don't think it's possible to hold both views at the same time because I think they are they are opposite an understanding of God's 
role in salvation versus man's role in salvation. I don't see how I could believe that man can lose his salvation as an example, yet believe that he can't lose his salvation as an example. I don't see how we can say that I choose versus God has chose me. I mean, I can't say, I, there's no way it can be both. It, they're mutually exclusive ways to, of looking at Scripture. I mean, you, you can't be both at the same time. Do you think that the uh, the number one problem, the partial depravity, would that be the main problem with trying to combine the two? Like, if well, you yeah. I mean, I think yes. I mean, you can't. I mean, I think scripturally, Ephesians two said says that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And you know, when I look, when I try to understand what dead means, you know, dead means dead, and dead people generally can't bring themselves back to life. And so, if I'm dead, if I'm, you know, again, using the, you know, total depravity, but I think the better way to say it's total inability, meaning that I have no ability to to save myself, that I'm dead in my as an unbeliever, I am dead in my, my trespasses and sins, and that means that I'm dead, and nothing is going to bring me to life outside of God's sovereign will, God's sovereign power to, to raise me from the dead. Yeah, I've heard John MacArthur say, it was like Lazarus, how much did he contribute to him? Yeah, I think it's a great, a great analogy. You know, it was Christ who raised him from the dead. And so and I think that is the crux of the situation, is that we have to understand that, that salvation is by God's sovereign choice, that he's the one who has done the work, and we want to take credit for it. And yet the scripture is very clear that dead men can't make themselves alive. Yeah, and the second point of, of this debate is also the conditional election versus unconditional election. MacArthur, I've always I've heard him say this too, that how much say did you have in the day you were born? Yeah, you have zero. I mean, it, right. you, it, you know, speaking of your first birth, obviously when yeah. you, were, you came out of the, your mother's womb, you had no choice, and neither did, to a certain degree, neither did your mother, but... You know, I guess we can we can change those things a little bit now. But the point is, is that yeah, we don't have that choice. We don't have that choice when we're going to be conceived. You know, the, the day we're born, the hour we're born, the family we're born to. Uh, we don't have any of that any choice in the matter. What country we're born in, the culture we're going to be, we don't have any choice in the matter. And and I don't think that we have any choice in the matter. Biblically, there's no choice in the matter in terms of our second birth. You know, the wind blows where it will. And yeah. I mean, that's what Christ says in John 3. And, you know, that's the Holy Spirit does what he's going to do. And, you know, we have no choice in that matter. That's true. What, how do you feel about this? Is it right for us to give these man-made labels? I think the man-made labels are helpful. I do. I think that Calvinism and an understanding of Calvinism is is helpful. When you look at especially the four, you know, total depravity, unconditional election, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, I think that we can very clearly see how they work together in the system. And I think even limited atonement, uh, like I said earlier, in my mind, it's not a question of whether it's limited or not. Unless you think, unless you're a universalist and you believe everyone's going to be saved in the end, that even, you know, Hitler, Mao, and Stalin are going to be happy in heaven. If you believe that, then then I think that there is a full atonement. But if you don't believe that, then there is a limited atonement because the effect of the atonement is limited to those who are going to be with Christ and, you know, in the eschaton in heaven. So, you know, even with that one, it, they all work together. And I think it's helpful. I think that Calvinism, the five points of Calvinism are as a helpful framework to understand what the Bible teaches about man's depravity, about God's election, about, you know, God's grace and atonement and the perseverance of the saints of the fact that we're going to, we, we have eternal security. And so I think it's a helpful framework. Now, I think there's weaknesses, and I think we see those weaknesses in the fact that 
I, if I push things too far and I don't understand biblically why these things, you know, what these points are and biblically, if I can't understand them biblically, then I think I can get off track some. And, and I think we see that even like with hyper-Calvinism, where if it's God, as an example, if it's God's choice, why would I preach the gospel? You know why would I why would I go out and preach the gospel and call for someone to turn to Christ and first call for someone to to believe if God has already made that choice and He's gonna He's gonna save them anyway so why would I participate in that They end up in error because they hang their hat too closely to these points without really understanding these things just represent it's a framework to work from and if I see something in Scripture that that contradicts this. If I see something in Scripture that I feel like contradicts it, it's worth sitting down and, and un- trying to understand and unpack and understand if there's a contradiction and why. Now, I don't think there is. I don't think that there are contradictions. I think that framework, you know, in terms of, of Calvinism in general, I think captures the understanding of salvation. To me, it's because when you first become a believer, you do feel like you had a say in what you're doing. There is always pride that I'm making the choice to accept Christ into my heart. That's how I first heard the gospel was, you know, you accept Christ into your heart. But you're making that decision. Yeah, I I used to say, and I, I don't know if I completely am here now, but I used to say that every unbeliever is an Arminian, mm-hmm. you know, that they think that they make the choice, you know, and they think that they're the ones who do it. And I think that every every new believer comes into the kingdom thinking that they've made the choice to come into the kingdom. You know, I think that's okay. I think they need to be taught, you know, in time. I think they certainly need to be taught a better a better understanding biblically of, of why we've come believers and come to understand Ephesians 1, 4, were chosen before the foundation of the world. But I think it's okay that someone comes in, you've called them to believe, you've preached the gospel to them, you've told them about a holy God, and you know, you've know you told them that they're on the wrong path, they're on the path of destruction, and they want to get on the, go through the narrow gate. And from that perspective, they, they are making a choice from that perspective. And, you know, we'll, we can unpack that a little bit more. But ultimately, they, they have a limited view. They have a view from their own point of view, but they don't recognize that there's a bigger point of view of God's decree that a person would become a believer, that God has decreed who is going to be his you know, before the foundation of the world. But they don't, you know, we can't expect, an, you know, someone who's a new believer to understand all of that theology, you know, right off the bat. How much how much of a brokenness do we need when we first are called? You know, you can have your best life now. You can have the job of your dream. God has a plan for your life. But if that's the main pull that you hear, just say this prayer and you will be saved. Yeah, I think that someone who who believes that they're a Christian, having heard that that type of gospel, I would be concerned. I would be concerned about them and about their salvation because I they don't have a full understanding of follow Christ. Now, I, I said earlier that what I was talking about is that I have no problem with a, a young believer, new believer, coming into the kingdom and not fully understanding that they didn't make that choice, right? I, I get that. But in terms of brokenness over sin, you know, in, in terms of coming to Christ based on a, a faulty gospel— I would be concerned because they don't fully understand their brokenness before a holy God. They don't fully understand the separation between a holy God and them as a sinner and the fact that they need, you know, they need that gap between them to be 
crossed and they can't cross it on their own. And, and the only thing that can bring them into God, into Christ, is Christ himself. He's the only one that can bridge that gap and has bridged that gap between God and man in, in his sacrifice on the cross. And so anyone who, who doesn't have that understanding, anyone who believes that they're adding God to their life in order to make their life better, you know, your best life now, I would be very concerned in terms of their salvation. I am very concerned in terms of their salvation. Yeah, I've heard you say in a sermon one time, it was really, really good. You said it's not adding Jesus to your life. He is your life. Yes, I mean, you you become, you are in him. You have been immersed. I mean, literally the, the idea of baptism is being immersed in the in the water, fully immersed. I mean, I we, we take a, a baptism by immersion view. And the reason I think that's the right view is because it's a picture of salvation. We have been fully immersed in Christ and and we've been raised to newness of life and it the, you know bat- baptism has a is a beautiful picture of that what happens when we come to know the Lord and so yeah if I'm just adding if I'm just saying yeah I, it, that I can add Christ to my life yeah it's I don't think it's the right Christ he told his disciples if anyone wishes to come after me let them take up their cross and follow me and you know the idea there is die to self die to everything that you want every desire and every desire becomes his desire now what's really cool about it is is that you know that's exactly what we want and it ends up being truly our best life but it's not our best life as defined by the world it's as as defined by Christ yeah and I heard you say also in a sermon that we do get get our heart's desire because our heart has been changed to a new desire. Yeah, he gives us, he gives us, a, he changes our affection. Yeah. yeah. He changes everything. And now our, my desires become aligned with his desires. Now that, there's a process, right? I mean, it, it isn't like I'm, it isn't like I, you know, I perfectly understand everything. I mean, there's a process called sanctification, you know, that's progressive. And I become more and more like Christ, end up having more and more the mind of Christ even. And, and I can tell you now that, you know, some of the struggles I had 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, or even five years ago, I don't have today because Mm -hmm. he's, you know, used different situations, different struggles, problems, you know, things in my life to take away the affection of this world and give me an affection for him and a longing for the world to come. And that's the difference that in our sanctification, you've always used the, that one of our professors used, the tension. There's a tension in our, in our sanctification, right? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, there's a tension between you know what's what's our responsibility and what in, in God's responsibility. I think you could say you know some people would say is it God who sanctifies? Yes. Is it man who is responsible for sanctification? Yes. But I don't think I don't think we can look at it that way. I think we have to look at it as as two truths that stand to be they stand true. There, there's no contradiction that God is the one who sanctifies. That's true, and that we have a responsibility to our own sanctification. That's true. But there's a tension there that holds me in place, that there's a tension there that keeps me from going into the ditch on one side or the other. I can't sit back and go, well, God's doing all the work, because so I just can put it in neutral. No, there's a responsibility on my side to you know be in the Word. There's a, pro- a responsibility to be in prayer. There's a responsibility to have fellowship with other believers. There's a responsibility to seek after Christ, and that that's a responsibility that He gives me. But that doesn't that doesn't alleviate the truth that He's the one that's doing the sanctifying. Those are things that I always uh, had to work through when I was in seminary. I hadn't I hadn't thought through a lot of this stuff. This is my own thoughts about it that I think Calvinism is correct, right? I think it's the correct framework. You you know, we could argue, we could kind of talk about, you know, the atonement piece. So you could, you know, we can kind of talk about those things. But 
but I think that that Calvinism is the correct framework. I think what, but I think that the issue comes in is that that it's that again that tension because I have to call someone like if I'm if I'm preaching the gospel, I do think that we have to call someone to believe, and in real time, from a human perspective they are making a choice. They are making a choice to, to act upon, you know, the call. But we know, we know that from, a, from the perspective of God's decree, that person is either chosen or not, right? That they either they've been chosen from the foundation of the world or they haven't. We don't know who that person, you know, we don't know that one way or the other. And so if you, if you just look at it from a human perspective, it seems as though Arminius was right. If I look at it mm. from that perspective, it seems as though he's right. But if I look at it from the perspective of God's decree, he's the one who made the sovereign choice. Mm. And, and so that, I think that's where people get mixed up in terms, of, in terms of how they look at it. So if you look at your, as an example, if you look at the last point, perseverance of the saints, you know, the, the idea that, that we can lose our salvation, that the idea of, of eternal security will you know, Calvinism would say that if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, a true believer, then you can never lose your salvation. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that's what the Bible teaches, that it teaches that we as true believers can't lose our salvation, and that true believers will persevere till the end, and they will persevere in Christ because they've been chosen. That's because God has laid out that path, and it's going to walk in the path that God has given them. And I believe that with all my heart, with my own life. But if I look at it from a, again, from a human perspective, much as I would like to know for sure that I'm saved or you're saved or anyone else is saved, I don't know what's in the heart, and the heart can be deceived. And so it could be that we're walking in deception. I don't want someone to struggle with you know, their salvation and whether they're saved or not when they shouldn't. If you're walking in obedience, I think you can have assurance of salvation. If you're doing the things that the Lord would have you do, you know, if you're praying to Him, if you're depending on Him, if you're reading your Bible, if you're doing all those things, then I think you can have assurance of salvation. I think when we are disobedient, you know, we have to we have to question, you know, why are we being disobedient? Because the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful, and we need to recognize that. And I think that's, I mean, again, like Hebrews six four through six, it, it talks about those who have tasted the heavenly gift, and they've, you know, let me let me turn over to Hebrews six four through six. So Hebrews six four through six. There, there's a tension there that we have to recognize in, in, in terms of what the writer is saying. I think the writer is saying that we can be deceived into thinking that we're part of the body, that we're part of the church, that we are saved. And ultimately what's happening is is that you can be deceived into thinking that you are when you're not. And, and there's a, there's a fall, there can be a falling away, especially when difficulty comes. And so that's the tension that we're talking about here. And so I, don't, I, th- I think that the error of Arminianism is not understanding. I think it's trying to put a, an understanding. And I know it's interesting because my father was Arminian, and he thought you could lose your salvation. And what he was trying to account for is those who were 
were in the body of Christ, they for all the world seemed like that they were Christians. They were they were walking the talk. They were doing the stuff. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. They had tasted the heavenly gift. They had they were partaking, and and yet they fell away. And I think you know my dad would would say, I, you know, this hurt me. I mean, it was hurt it hurtful. And he was trying to understand how you know what that would what that looked like. And so I think in his mind they could they they could lose their salvation. And I think that's Arminianism is that you can lose your salvation. But I think that I think biblically it's clear if you're a Christian, if you're truly in him, that you will persevere, that you will persevere to the end and you cannot lose your salvation. But again, that's the, the tension that we're talking about is that from a human perspective, it looks like you fell away. It looks like that you were, but you're now not. But in reality, you never were. Yeah. I, I'm afraid this might be a dumb question, but we'll, we'll find out. Shoot. Um, there is hyper-Calvinism, which is almost you sit back and you, you let God, right? God does everything. You don't have to do anything. Well, I, I mean, specifically, hyper-Calvinism would be that, you know, that there's no reason to share the gospel because God does, has made the choice and he's going to do the saving. So why am I, you know, why would I go out and, and preach the gospel? Because they're going to get saved anyway. Would a hyper-Calvinist also believe that God does the sanctification, the justification, the, all of that? Yeah, he I takes think, care of all, and we're not, we're not really responsible. For, it's all him. Well, I think that that would be more of a a situation where it's all of grace. You know, where you're where mm-hmm. you're thinking that you know my sanctification is not my responsibility. So, so therefore, I just do what I want to do, and and he he takes care of it, and he deals with he deals with this. He's already dealt with the sin, and and I don't have to I don't have to be concerned about it. And I think that's an error. I don't know that it's. I don't know. If it's hyper Calvinism. Is that hyper grace? Is that yeah, what they hyper call grace it? is what what they call that. But it, from what it sounds like to me uh, is is the, the difference be, the main difference between Calvinism and Arminianism is it's a different perspective of who God is. It's God's greatness. It's God's glory. In in the Calvinistic look, it's God is is sovereign. He, he's powerful. When you when we, when we look at the Arminian God, it, he's not as sovereign and as powerful. It, there, there's things that are happening that that aren't in his control. That, that's the way I'm looking at it. Is is that wrong? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that in order to have an Arminian point of view, you have to weaken in God who he is. And bit, yeah. yeah, you have to say you you can't say that he's sovereign, and you know that that man can override. You know, like you've heard, like you give the example of that no one will snatch you out of, out of his hand, right? That's the you know Jesus said that when he talked about that in John ten and snatched out of his hand that it, that you know God is sovereign that way. But then you know I've heard it said I I quoted that I quoted that to to a guy one time and he goes yeah, but it doesn't say you can't jump. You know that you can willingly jump out of his hand. But again that. Is I mean, if God is sovereign, if God is totally sovereign and all powerful, then I if I think that I can jump out of His hand, it's somehow He lost me. Somehow, somehow I can't. He can't be trusted to keep me saved. I mean, He can. Be, I can trust Him to save me, but I can't trust Him to keep me saved. It almost comes back to the point of God is good. Everything He does is good, and we can trust everything He does. So why would you want to jump out of His hand? Yeah, I mean, it, for sure. But I, I think that's where. The, that the person who does quote unquote jump out of his hand, I think they never were in his hand, right? They never, they yeah. never had, they never were truly saved. The human perspective of looking at God's word through a human lens rather than a godly lens, yes, we can easily become so obsessed with it's all about us, yes, and not about God, yes. 
and and that's a danger because I struggled. I've told yes. you this before with a, unlimited atonement or limited. Atonement. So it was a growth. Of pro- it was a growth process. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was a it was a situation where you had wrong information, wrong thought that that through you know study, through being taught, through sanctification, you came to realize that oh, that God is sovereign in salvation, and that. You know, you came to better understand, and I think that's okay. I think there, you know, people in different positions, and 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 they still love the Lord. My prayer is, is that I'll see my Father in heaven. You know that, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm talking about my earthly father. That that he and I will be will be there together. And and yet, I do know that he had a he saw things from an Armenian point of view. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I struggled with election for a long time. Show me where it is in Scripture, and boom, there it is. Yeah, you it's can't, all over. Once you see it, you can't miss it. Yeah, it's all over. Yeah, you can't get away from it. Well, as we wrap this up, let's 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 talk about Ken Ham. Okay. If you let let me get your final thoughts on on what Ken Ham was when he when recently said that uh, he was both neither an Arminian or Calvinist at the same time. He was both and neither. So how, how what do you, what what do you think? Well, first off, first off, I I really think a lot of, I think of highly of Ken Ham. I think highly of his ministry. Uh, as you know, I'm a big proponent of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and uh, well, Genesis 1 through 11. I'm a big proponent of all the Bible, but but I, I'm, I really think that Genesis is foundational to our understanding of the Christian faith and understanding of who God is, understanding of God's character, and I think that Ken Ham has done a lot of great work in that realm. And and I'm I think of him highly. I've met him before. Um, he wouldn't know me from Adam, but you get that. No pun intended. No pun. None pun no pun <laughs> intended. Now he wouldn't know me, but I I have met him, and 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 yeah. I mean I I think highly of him. I will say that there have been times that he has poorly articulated things, and I and I'm I'm being critical, but I'm mm. I'm I hope I'm being gracious. Um, there have been times that I've you know, he, in his zeal to not, not, I think, you know, the question is, did he, did he say this in order to appeal, to appeal to more people, or did he say this because of some other reason? Um, I, I don't think it's because he was trying to appeal to more people. I don't. Um, I, I do think that in his position that it, that he's probably under pressure not to, you know, put a label on himself so that he doesn't alienate a lot of people. And I think that that could that could have played into it, but I think that ultimately he poorly articulated it. I think now again, I don't know his heart, I don't know where he's you know where he's at, but I think what's happened is is that he was trying to communicate the tension that I'm trying to communicate as well, and it's very mm-hmm. difficult to communicate that tension that's in Scripture. You know the tension of you know, sanctification, the tension of salvation, you know, that the tension that God made a sovereign choice that is before the foundation of the world, yet in real time, in time and space, I have to call for someone to make a decision. And so when he says I'm neither and I'm both, I don't think it's possible that you can be both. I mean, we just said it's the north and the south. I mean, I don't think you can be both and. I I don't think... I, I. you know, in terms of being neither, I hope what he's saying, and I and I trust what he's saying is I want to be biblical, and I want to I want to avoid I do want to avoid the tags that you know those you know a system and saying I'm oh I'm a Calvin Calvinist you know really I did I think 
I think I think what he's saying is I just believe what the Bible says. And if the Bible says if the Bible says that you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I believe that. If the Bible says that God is the one who sanctifies, I believe that. Right? And I and and there is there a tension there? Yes, there's a tension there. But I believe both are both to be true, both are propositional truths. And I think that that is what Ken Ham was trying to articulate mm. is he's trying to say I want to believe what the Bible says, and therefore, if the Bible says that God is the one who chooses, then I believe that. But if God also, or if the Bible also calls for a man to believe, then I believe that is true too. And so, in that sense, I'm both an Arminian and a and a Calvinist. I've said that I can sound like a Calvinist in one way, and then in complete in a different situation, sound like an Arminian that I'm calling for someone to believe while at the same time on you know on the other hand I can say that God is sovereign in salvation and he's the one that chooses but I I think to say I'm both and I think is probably is probably not communicated very well. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is is that I I recognize the difficulty in communicating these things because you know as we're talking I'm very I'm trying to be very careful in how I say things and how I'm coming across and what I'm saying because I want I don't want to mischaracterize something you know and I recognize there is this tension that we're dealing with that is there it's a theological tension but I dare not relieve that tension because God doesn't right mm. God doesn't, and if I if I relieve that tension, I end up falling in the ditch one way or the other. Yeah, that's why I let you do all the talking. No, <laughs> you let me do all the fum- you let me do all the fumbling. No, I, it, it's true, and I I'm a Hamite too. I love Ken. I would highly recommend all of his stuff. I kind of feel the same way about the song. I have decided to follow Jesus. It bothers me now, but it from what you're saying, it's true. You know, I have yeah. decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. It makes me sound like I'm the one that made the decision. But the only reason I can make the decision is because Christ called me. That's right. And I think that song is a great example. I remember when I became when I became a Christian, I became very quickly, very soon, became a Calvinist. And I, w- I was in my caged stage, you know, where you needed to put me in a cage because I, you know, all of a sudden, it's all God. It's all God. It's God's, God's sovereign in salvation. God's sovereign in salvation. And you know, I, I was so excited about this, and it just answered so many questions for me. And I, I'll never forget, we sang that hymn, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. And I'll, I'll never forget going to my pastor and going, why are we singing this? This is Arminian. <laughs> and and so he was, and he was just like, yeah, little boy, go away. No, um, no I mean, he was gracious about it. I don't know, I can't remember what his, what his answer was specifically, but I do remember having the conversation. But now that I look back on it, I think that if I'm singing that song, I mean, there was a there there was in time and space, and I say time and space in my life. I mean, there was a point that I decided to follow Jesus. Now I didn't understand, and you know, and and at that point, I didn't understand all that went with that, and that God had sovereignly decreed that I would follow Him. But from that point of view, that was a real decision. I mean, it was it really happened. And that's just like if I go to the ice cream, if you and I decide after this podcast that we're going to be bad boys and go to the ice cream store, that's a real decision that we're making. Mm. And yet, you know, I, I would believe, you know, what R.C. Sproul teaches, I, you know, there's the, you know, there's the bondage of the will that I'm either enslaved to righteousness or Christ or I'm enslaved to my sin. And so that decision to go to the, to the ice cream store and have an ice cream is always going to be tainted, is always going to be, is always going to be influenced by who my master is and why are you looking at me yeah well 
You're the one. I like ice cream. What can I I say? I I do too. You know, I laugh because I I felt the same way about that song. I felt Mm -hmm. like we should not be singing that. Yeah. And this was when I was at Grace Church. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was going to go talk to Phil Johnson or someone, but it's funny. But now it, it makes, it does make more sense when you look at it from that point of view that it's the calling of Christ that gives you the right to. Yes. I have decided I'm I'm gonna do it. Yes. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I love my Savior, and I'm gonna follow Him. That's right. You know. That's yeah. right. He's the one who changed your affection. Exactly. He's the one. Yeah. I mean, He's the one who gave you the, the ability to make that decision. Yeah. I mean, so it's His. I mean, it's 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 His sovereign choice. Yet at the same time, at the same time, I was able to. I'm able to say I decided to follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that uh, this didn't confuse anybody even more on this uh, podcast so hopefully we he's really what you're really saying is that i hope brandon didn't confuse you <laughs> i didn't say that i, I i'm <laughs> saying that I, I you know hopefully it made sense to me and it helps it helps clarify in my, in my mind uh, the difference the differences there yeah i think i will i think the end i think it's important for us to always search and seek to understand I mean, I think that's an important aspect of being a Christian is always asking the Lord, you know, give me understanding, help me see this, help me understand it. And, you know, I think the moment we think we've arrived, I think that's where we're probably in trouble, you know, that, that we're mm-hmm. always in process, always learning and always growing. We're never, we're never going to fully understand the person of God, who he is, and because he's infinite, he's, he's much too much too complex for me to fully grasp and i'm using my little pea brain i'm using my little pea brain that's limited i would be in big trouble limited by you know it's a limited i have limited ability to understand and yet he is infinite and i can't there's nothing there's no way to fully grasp him wow great way to end it let's go get a dilly bar and don't tell my wife well <laughs> i won't i won't tell angie yeah i, I hope not would be in big trouble and we'll catch you next broadcast. You've been listening to Fresh Bread, a broadcast of Grace Bible Church, Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening. <laughs>